In our new year together looking at John the Baptist and his message is a really challenging message both to the people of his day and to us 2,000 years later. It's challenging because the church struggles with repentance in much the same way that God's people did and the religious leaders of the Jews did 2,000 years ago. Um, there's a fan on here blowing at me. Can I turn that off? Yeah. Or just move it maybe? I don't even know. There we go. It's a cold day. I really don't need that. It's cold up here. All right. Let's, let's, uh, let's look at this passage. Let's, let's get into it. So, reading of God's word from Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. I ask you to think with me for a moment how often you worry about being exposed about being found out. And there are a lot that we hide from other people, that we hide from each other. Loneliness, marital struggles, secret vices. You know, you don't want it known that you spent money on that embarrassing thing or you don't want it known what you've looked at recently online. We all have these dark corners of our hearts that we would prefer remain dark, remain unknown. And the problem that we face is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as John the Baptist says in verse 2. And every new kingdom brings with it new ways of doing things. I mean, you can look at every kingdom throughout history from Alexander the Great, right? He takes, he brings his kingdom into the ancient Near East and suddenly it, Greek is the dominant language for everybody. Or the Moors come into Spain and you can still see the influence in architecture throughout southern Spain. Or think about how the Soviet Union dominated Eastern Europe and imposed communism on everyone there. Well, the kingdom of heaven 
exposes the true nature of our hearts and shows us our need for Jesus. The kingdom of heaven imposes this, this, um, this light into the dark corners of our hearts that exposes us. And this is something no other kingdom has done before and this exposure feels like death to us because we want people to think that we're good. We want people to think that we don't really have serious problems. Sure, you know, if you're a Christian, you're like, okay, well, I, obviously I'm a sinner, so I've got these acceptable sins that people can know about, but I don't want people to know about the, the real stuff, the secret stuff. I mean, look, look at what's happened over the past few months in, in our culture as these powerful men in our country have been exposed again and again as harassers and abusers and predators. And they are living out our biggest fear, are they not? Being found out and disgraced. Now, I'm not saying what's happening to the Matt Lowers and Harvey Weinsteins and the Louis C.K.'s of the world isn't deserved. But instead of thinking about them, I want you to think, I want us to think about what it is we deserve. That's the fear that keeps us from repentance. Because repentance is of course more than saying you're sorry. It means putting yourself at the mercy of another. And it's grounded in true change of the heart and mind. The Greek word for repentance has with it this notion of turning away from, of conversion, of, of a total change. And this is why we struggle to believe you know, I think the, the, the person caught in the act, you know, the cheating spouse who's caught in the act, who says, oh, I'm so sorry, because we know that repentance must be this conversion. This, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, dying of the old nature in real repentance. And so the heart of John's preaching that we're gonna look at today is that the kingdom of heaven exposes the true nature of our hearts and shows us our need for Jesus. I'll, say, I'll repeat that for you. The, the kingdom of heaven exposes the true nature of our hearts and shows us our need for Jesus. So we're gonna look at that in two parts. First, we're gonna look at the true nature of our hearts and then we're gonna look at the true need of our hearts. And the, the nature of our hearts we see first in two parts, the nature of false appearances and then the nature of corruption. So uh, let's look at the true nature of our hearts and the nature of false appearances and then the nature of corruption. Look at verses one and two with me. John the Baptist comes, he's preaching, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And one commentator I read paraphrased it, God's promised reign is beginning. God is now taking control. And so the kingdom of heaven is going to shine light into our lives and question all of our old ways as we're confronted with this new king who draws us out, who says, I'm going to expose your heart. There's no dual citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, right? People love to have dual citizenship. We think it's so cool when someone can be like a French citizen and an American citizen. But, you know, the United States doesn't really encourage that. And for the same reason that we see that Jesus doesn't allow dual citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is because he doesn't want divided loyalties in our hearts. But that is the desire of our hearts. We want some of what this new kingdom of heaven has to offer, right? We, we hear the promises of all things being made right and we're like, yes, that sounds good. But then 
we don't want to give up our own reign in our hearts. We still want our freedom or our autonomy or our ability to choose what's right for us even though we're terrible at it. And so what do we do? We try and have it both ways. And we put up these false appearances and we ignore the consequences of living a double life. So let's look at the nature of false appearances. John the Baptist has for himself a very striking appearance. Garment of camel's hair, leather belt around his waist. Food was locusts and wild honey. And that wasn't a normal thing 2,000 years ago any more than it would be today. Uh, so he's hanging out in the wilderness, which is for them not like you know grizzly bear and trees, but more like rocky and desert sort of thing. Um, so the, fi- the first four verses are, ex- are highlighting exactly who John the Baptist is. And Matthew's not subtle about it. He quotes Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So he's the one that comes before the Messiah. And he's, and the people, the God's people, the Jews, had been waiting for this figure to come and, and tell them it was time. And, so, and sure enough, what do we see? We see the crowds going out to him. Look at verse 5. Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region about the Jordan were going out to John. But John doesn't just draw people who you know, we're excited about him. He also draws some critics. I think of any famous person in our society today, right? Anybody who's got a lot of people who like him also has a lot of people who hate him. You know, LeBron James, right? Great basketball player. Lots of people love him. People just hate him sometimes for no reason that I can figure out. But anyway, leaders in Jerusalem can't miss this phenomenon of people flocking out of crowds going to John. It'd be like if you somehow didn't know that Donald Trump was in the news every day. I mean, you just have to have your head in the sand, right? So in verse 7, John the Baptist sees religious leaders from both the conservative party and the liberal party coming out to him, right? He's got the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They don't really think Democrats and Republicans, but think, you know, it's because they're religious leaders, but it's similar. They're they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. And they're all coming out. And what does he do? He flips out. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. He says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So why does he flip out at them? Well, he knows their proud religious ways. He knows the kind of teaching that they have been doing, that they have been giving to God's people. He knows what their lives look like, and it is very much a religion of false appearances, a religion of making sure the outside looks good and polished and everybody can see that, oh, of course you did that little thing wrong that's acceptable, but nothing seriously wrong. And if you do something seriously wrong, you hide it. You cover that up so that nobody can see it. And John's baptism was tied to honest confession of sin, to humility, to vulnerability, to admitting the evil in the heart. And these leaders come out and he sees in them everything that's, that's wrong with God's people, everything that's wrong with the corruption of false religion. Humility that is just for show. Kindness for the purpose of earning a good reputation. These leaders are the ones most threatened by John's message. And their hearts are as sinful as everyone else's, but they're skilled at hiding it. 
But because they don't understand repentance, it means they're doing one of two things, as John perceives. They're either spying on him because they think he's a threat, or they're, they're perhaps simply coming to engage in another religious ritual. They're seeing, okay, this is what people are expecting religious people to do right now. Let's go take part in it. I think, I think it's probably more of that one, but it could be the first one too. We don't really get a clear indication other than that John's really upset with them. So as we read this, we have to ask ourselves where we care more about appearances than reality. And this is why we must repent even of our good deeds that are done out of a sinful heart because such deeds done for the show of the deed itself rather than out of love for the Lord and love for others is in itself a, an affront to the kingdom of heaven. It's not the way that kingdom works. And so as a pastor, I've got to tell you, I have to repent of this all the time of wanting to, to look good before other people, of wanting to look like I am doing what's expected of a good pastor. And, and if you're a leader in the church of some kind, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're gonna have to join me in having this struggle in your heart and, and needing to repent of, of doing things for the appearance of being religious or being good or being what people expect you to be rather than out of a love for the Lord. Because when we care more about how we look as leaders than our love for the Lord and, or than our actual love for, other, for people, then we've lost the heart of the gospel and Lord have mercy on us. But when we don't repent of our love for appearances, when we're blind to that and we start to believe our own false appearances about ourselves, we deceive ourselves about the true nature of our hearts, which is a nature not of just of false appearances, but of corruption within. And look at what John goes on to tell the Pharisees and the Sadducees in verse 9. He says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You know, and what he's saying there is, if I say that my parents really kind of have to love me no matter what, so it doesn't really matter how I treat them, I don't really need to show them any love, you'd say that's a pretty messed up relationship, Ben. Well, in the same way, calling ourselves Christians without any love for God, any evidence of that love for God in our lives is not a healthy religion because it's not a healthy relationship with God. And instead, it's evidence of this false religion. And this is the mindset of these deeply religious first century Jews. Because false religious thinking equates forgiveness with a balancing of the scales. And it says... All right, either God's going to forgive me because I've done some good works that are going to make up for it, or says, all right, I know Jesus is going to forgive me no matter what, so I kind of just have a free pass for whatever. And that false religious thinking can go right two different ways, this way of kind of earning our earning our favor before God, or this cheap grace way. And both of them are divorced from any real relationship with God, any real love. For God. Now we're guilty of this kind of thinking. We are. We, we err on both these sides. I'm sure most of us in this room. And, and that's why the world around us thinks we're hypocrites. Because, because we are. 
and, uh, and, and oftentimes our lives don't bear the fruit in keeping with repentance, but they, but they bear bad fruit. And think of how the corruption of religion in, it, in our hearts works itself out. Um, anxiety and bitterness that, that no one else meets our standards. Just this morning, I was struggling with this as I'm driving here and I'm thinking about how much better I am as a northerner in the snow than all these other people, right? But, but that's, that's bogus. No northerner is gonna be good at driving on these roads because in the north they plow their roads. <laughs> now in here we just hope for the sun to melt it and then we're like, oh boy, 20 degrees for the next four days? So we're gonna be in trouble. Right, and, but, but I mean, you guys have probably encountered this with Northerners before, right? This smugness, this arrogance about like driving in the snow and how thinking, you know, looking down on other people. But more seriously, think about how you try to impose your personal values on other people and your matters of conscience on other people. Jesus calls this teaching as, law, as the laws of God, the laws of men. And we all seem to do this with politics. Oh, you didn't vote the way I did. You must not be a very good Christian. Or we do this with our styles of worship. This music is the correct music for a real Christian to sing. Or this kind of liturgy is the way that people who actually love Jesus worship. I'm kidding about those. Those things are wrong, right? We do this with parenting, I think even more than anything else maybe. What school did you send your kids to? That's the wrong one. That's the wrong way to do it. Or how do you discipline your kids? Mm-mm. What do you allow your kids to watch? I can't believe you're a Christian. Right, I mean, maybe you haven't thought, maybe I haven't gotten you yet with one of these, but, but just keep going. You can, you can see how we do this. And we're taking our supposedly good theology and concluding that we have God entirely figured out and imposing our, what we've figured out on the people around us and we're judging them for it and we're elevating ourselves and the people like that in this passage are called a brood of vipers. And it's the nature of our hearts. It's the nature of our hearts to corrupt good things by making them center around us instead of centering our lives around Jesus. It's the nature of our hearts, guys. Whether we're Christians or not. But whatever you live for to give you meaning, if it's not Jesus, it's corrupting your heart. And the more we cover and hide the nature of our hearts, the more control that nature has over us. Jesus is the one we were made for and until he's our chief desire, our hearts are gonna be marred by the corruption of sin. But the coming of the kingdom of heaven is, is a threat to this corruption because in the kingdom of heaven, all this corruption is exposed. Look at verse 12. Jesus' winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. When Jesus comes, he won't be fooled by our appearances. He'll see right through to the corruption. And this is really bad news for those who don't want to be seen. But thankfully, John the Baptist's message is actually really good news. And that's why so many people came flocking to him. He said the kingdom of heaven is coming not only to expose your hearts, but to heal them. 
And that begins with the exposure and course correction of repentance, but it ends ultimately with the gift of a new heart, with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So as we look at the need of our hearts, the true need of our hearts, let's talk first about the need for healing exposure, and then we're gonna talk about the need for a new heart. So, in verse six, we see people going out to be baptized in the Jordan River, confessing their sins, it says. And repentance, then we see in John the Baptist's ministry, is preparation for the kingdom of heaven, for God's work in our lives. They, in this passage, are preparing for Jesus by bringing their sin out into the open, by saying, we, we need forgiveness. We need it. If you go to the doctor and never tell him what's wrong with you, you know he's going to have a hard time figuring out how to heal you. As I watched, um, I've been watching Stranger Things during the snow day. It was good use of my time these last few days. And I get, kept getting frustrated because not everybody, they don't tell everybody everything, right? Everybody kind of like keeps some information. So I'm like, just tell everybody everything so they can know about that. Or no, I won't, no spoilers. But, you know, it just drives you nuts. And, and in the kingdom of heaven, we see that Jesus is calling us to tell him everything, to, to put everything out there. Now, is that because he won't know it otherwise? No. But there's something that is actually important for the healing of our hearts to actually bring the truth to Jesus. And so we don't come to him just asking for forgiveness for that little acceptable sin of being, being short with someone. Oh, shucks. But we come confessing you know, our, our addictions, our, our lusts, our lies, and even those really embarrassing, really petty, foolish sins that we just want to go away because we don't want to admit how much they reveal the true nature of our hearts. So um, I'm going to put one of those out there for you guys right now. Uh, for many years, I was in this fantasy football league with, uh, with your friend David Clark back there in the back row. And uh, this was a bunch of, a bunch of guys from, from college, from UVA. And it was a great way of keeping in touch. But I almost destroyed the league about, I don't know, five years into its existence because the commissioner, you know, very important role in the league, made a decision that I didn't like and... And so I started going on these vitriolic diatribes against it, right? It's just so silly. And I, would, and I painted it as like all in good fun. But I, I like had this real hatred towards him in my heart, I, I came to realize. That I tried to cover up and pretend it wasn't there. And it took me, it actually took me like a full year, while I was in seminary, mind you, to actually, to actually go to this guy and ask, and ask for forgiveness and, and admit that I had just been so cruel to him for all that time. And it was so embarrassing because it was so petty. And it wasn't a good look for me. So I tried to pretend that it wasn't really what everybody was perceiving as malice. Oh, that was just a joke. You didn't understand, right? But, but actually, I needed the healing exposure of the gospel. I needed it. Because my sin had complete power over me until it was exposed. And those who came to be baptized by John were trusting in this new kingdom, 
it really is better to repent. It really is better to have our hearts exposed and healed. To be reconciled. But John's ministry was lacking something crucial and he knew it. Look at verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We see John's baptism was just with water. It was ceremonial, washing clean. Now, there's no laws in the Old Testament about baptism. It was this ritual that developed, we think, in the intertestamental period as a symbol within Judaism for those com- converting from pagan backgrounds, coming in from the Gentile world to, to actually join God's chosen people and follow the Lord. But John is doing something really countercultural in that he's saying this thing that you think happens uh, just at the beginning at conversion, I, I'm saying you need, you all need this. You all need this change of heart. Because being God's people means something more than your bloodline. It has to do with your heart. And John knows that Jesus is bringing a better baptism, one with, a holy, with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is going to address the true need of our hearts, which is to be made new. And he is going to give us new hearts. Because our, the problem of our hearts isn't going to go away until Jesus gives us new ones. And that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit will change us. And if we're going to be citizens of heaven, we have to learn new customs and new identities, new ways of living. And all that begins with new hearts. But look, at, look back at that urgency that we looked at in verse 12 of the winnowing fork, clearing the threshing floor. Our old ways are killing us. And when we try to live as Christians without the Holy Spirit, the difference is night and day because that's where we fall into the hiding, the excusing, the covering up. And, and the coming kingdom that exposes the true nature of our hearts then challenges everybody, all of us, not just, not just once, not, not just when we first come and say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, but it challenges us continually. And the religious leaders are denied entrance into this kingdom because they didn't understand that baptism goes hand in hand with repentance. John doesn't want to baptize them because he's saying, well, I don't think you're actually, you're not actually here to repent. But Jesus then carrying on this ministry of John the Baptist, what we see is continuous is that Jesus is actually calling us to a life of repentance. When Jesus invites us to follow him, he invites us to a life of rejecting the, the, our, and turning from our old ways, our old customs, and living in these new ways of the kingdom of heaven. Look at John's attitude Again, towards Jesus in verse 11. He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Now, this isn't false understanding. This is right understanding of our place before the Lord. When the church strays, it struggles to remember Jesus came for sinners. We think some are more worthy to carry Jesus' sandals. 
But look at John's ministry. It's all about Jesus. He was calling people to repent, but it was Jesus to whom he pointed people for forgiveness. And this is why we see that growth in the Christian life necessarily means growth in repentance. Think of how Paul, so far into his journey of following Jesus, starts to call himself chief of sinners and see even more deeply his need for grace, his need for repentance. I don't know how many of you saw the Selma Hayek op-ed in the New York Times last month, but she wrote about her own encounter with Harvey Weinstein. And it was painful to read, yet powerful and candid. She wrote, here's what she wrote, I had brainwashed myself into thinking that it was over, that I had survived. I hid from the responsibility to speak out with the excuse that enough people were already involved in shining a light on my monster. I didn't consider my voice important, nor did I think it would make a difference. She goes on to say, I had been proud of my capacity for forgiveness, but the mere fact that I was ashamed to describe the details of what I had forgiven made me wonder if that chapter of my life had really been resolved. And finally, she says at the end, I hope that adding my voice to the chorus of those who are finally speaking out will shed light on why it is so difficult and why so many of us have waited so long. What I... What I found beautiful about her words was, was the honesty and the real feeling of fear that we have of being exposed. I mean, she was the victim, but she still felt all this guilt for hiding, for covering up what had happened to her. She admits she was too scared to come forward until she knew there was a safer environment for it. And our lives are messy like that. We're both sinners and sinned against We feel guilt and shame both for the things we've done and the things done to us. And we are afraid to bring our stories out into the light. It's true. But we will never know the healing power of repentance until we know that we are loved. And, And, you know, she talks about how she thought she had forgiven, but she realized she couldn't even speak about it. She she hadn't forgiven. He hadn't asked for forgiveness, but... Forgiveness costs something great. Forgiveness means saying, yes, you really did wrong me in this way, and I'm going to accept the price for that for you. And the way we know that we are loved is that Jesus has offered us that forgiveness freely. You know, that, that hymn, Come Ye Sinners, says, Jesus ready stands to save you. He's already gone to the cross for you. He already knows all those secrets of your heart. He already knows all the things that have been done to you. He's not ashamed of you. He loves you. And he's drawing you in. That is what it means that the kingdom of heaven is coming. Jesus wants to expose our hearts, but he wants to change our hearts Because he wants to draw us back to himself, away from all these other things that wound us, that can never satisfy us, and draw us to himself. And so when he went to the cross for you, he said, it's safe to come out now. Your monster, your sin, has no power over you anymore. So come, turn from that, and find life in me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your love for us that you did not remain far off when we were dead in our sin, but you sent Jesus to claim us, to overpower the evil one, 
and to rescue us, your people. And so we pray, Lord, that you would expose our hearts that we might be healed, that you would transform our hearts by your spirit, that you would help us to live in the kingdom of heaven. Draw us in through Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know the Thank you. There you go. Um, I was thinking as Ben was preaching, um, there was a phrase, this is a, a phrase that I can't, I can't make an attribution to who, who, who said it, but I remember it said, the phrase goes like this, I'm not who I think I am, I'm not who you think I am, but I am who I think you think I am. Um, and that's, we have this carefully constructed life that we live, that we were to project to people, but it's kind of built, it's built on a foundation of sand and straw, and it's easily done away with if the right kind of storm comes our way. Uh, and I, I appreciate Ben's sermon topic and what he preached because beginning next week, Pastor Carlos is going to start a series, uh, a sermon series, and the title of it is, Who Am I? And it's finding your identity in Christ. Uh, so I think that's an appropriate, um, that this was an appropriate sermon topic to hit this week before we start that. So come out next Sunday and let's begin this journey of finding out who we really are in our identification with Christ. Okay, before we uh, pick up our offering, uh, we have visitors here. If you feel the Lord's leading you to make an offering, that's fine. If not, don't feel any obligation to make one. Uh, but we do want to pray before we take this offering, this worship offering up. Lord God, we thank you in Jesus' name um, that truly our foundation is set for those of us who are in Christ on a foundation that can never be shaken, on a foundation that we really need, as Ben preached, to uh, repent, uh, rinse, and repeat over and over again. Because sometimes that foundation gets a lot of stuff built up over the years and we lose sight of it. So, Lord, help us to stand firmly on this foundation. And, Lord, help us as we worship you in our giving to multiply what we offer to you, O oh Lord, to meet the needs of this fellowship, to meet the needs of uh, proclaiming the gospel to our communities around us, and, Lord, to bring about the full realization of the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of heaven here on earth. We give you thanks, Lord, that we can participate in this, and we give you thanks and praise and glory and honor that before the foundations of time, you have included us in Christ. So we take these offerings, we offer these to you, O Lord, in gratitude and thanksgiving, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. 
There will not be the special time of fellowship over in the other building, but there will be time in the vestibule. I heard the shipment of pickled crow's feet I requested did not make it. So I'm sorry for that, but enjoy fellowship together. And now, please lift your heads and hear the Lord's blessing upon you. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be glory now and forever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. No? That's it? Okay. That's it. No verses. 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 No